Let's turn in our Bibles, please, Revelation chapter 5. You know, I meet, I meet with a lot of people. I love meeting with, with everybody. I love being together. It's really important and good. And um, I usually will ask, you know, kind of how things are going, and I genuinely want to know how people are doing. Um, and I found that usually if I ask questions like, how's your marriage, people kind of look at me stunned for a second, you know, because everybody does. Nobody asks those kind of questions anymore, you know. Also, I like to ask the question, how's your walk with Jesus? I'll just ask, how's your walk with Jesus? How is your walk with Jesus? If you took our, sur- our survey, that was one of the questions that was on there. Thank you if you did the survey. We'll let you know about the results of that. We're looking through them now that it's closed. That was the other thing that was on my mind to say. But uh, how was your walk with Jesus? How would you rate it? Good? Bad? Stagnant? Excellent? Thriving? Full of life? Most people, when I ask that question, almost everybody says something to the effect of it could be better. Oh, uh, good. I mean, we're walking. Could be better. There's always room for improvement. Almost everybody says that. So if that was on your mind, or if you have said that in the past, almost everybody says almost something very similar to that. You know, sometimes it's interesting how thinking about our daily lives and what we do and the time that we have, we all get 24 hours. Isn't it funny how sometimes that 24 hours goes really slow and other times it goes really fast? Isn't it funny sometimes how you think, well, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to get up earlier, I'm going to stay up later, I'm going to have that special lunchtime or whatever, and I'm going to do this devotion, and I'm going to get in the Word, and I'm going to grow with God, and I, I've got this time set apart, and how that time gets just destroyed on your calendar. And it happens over and over again where we try to set up these times and things sort of jump in the way. Or how you're trying to spend time with God and these recurring problems or thoughts just come back to your mind time and time again, and you find yourself suddenly making lists about things to do or remembering about, oh, I need to write a card to that person. So you start working on that, and suddenly you realize, I meant to spend time with God, and I ended up doing all these other things. That's common to everybody. Even the disciples who were with Jesus, Jesus took them up into this desolate place called Gethsemane before he was arrested by the Romans and taken away to the cross. Before that happened, he said, come with me and let's pray. In fact, out of the 12 disciples, he took three specifically and said, come a little further with me and let's pray special together. And he started praying and kind of left them a little bit over there, and he's praying, and he comes back after being tempted to turn away from what the plan was and turn away from the cross that he knew he was headed toward. And he finds the disciples sleeping, and he says, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I feel that sometimes. Do you? How do we get out of that? How do we move forward? What do we do? I was thinking of praying about this and just seeking the Lord about What is it that we can look at in the scripture and from God that will help us to move forward, especially when sometimes we feel stagnant or maybe things are excellent, but we want to take it even further? What does that look like in our lives? And I was reminded about great stories of faith of people who have done amazing things from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there's all these people. And sometimes in our lives, we try to emulate them and just have faith like David or have faith like Paul or have faith like Peter. And if I'm like those people, then I'll really get somewhere. But the reality is that's kind of fleeting, isn't it? It's hard to emulate somebody like that. The message of the Bible isn't be like these people. The message of the Bible is come to Jesus, know Jesus. And so as I was praying and seeking and and thinking about these things, it occurred to me that when the church was at its deepest height of need and 
and people were being taken away and government officials were taking away Christians and people were being thrown to lions and martyrdom was happening everywhere and it was scary and things were bad. This guy, John, this apostle, goes before God and gets on his knees and says, what do I say to the church? What can I do to encourage them? And God didn't say, tell them, be like David. Tell them, be like Peter. Tell them, be a saint. Instead, he just shows him Jesus. And so today, as we come to Revelation chapter 5, we're going to remember Jesus together. We're going to remember this scene that we've read before and we know it. But we're going to remember it afresh and anew as a way to reawaken in ourselves a love for Jesus and a vision of him and what he's doing and where we're headed and what's happening. And, and that motivation becomes all we need as we seek him to know him more and to, and to press into him. Once we get a revelation of Jesus, suddenly everything in life sort of falls into place to, to follow him. When my uh, aunt was young, she used to tell me a story about when she was in school, she would get in trouble all the time because she would sit at her desk and she would slide way over like this. And so she'd get in trouble all the time because she was always writing on the side and papers were falling down. And her teacher would ask, what are you doing? Why do you keep sitting like that? And she'd say, well, I, I need to make room for Jesus so he can sit with me. And so the teacher would say, that's ridiculous. Sit in the middle. And she said, I can't, I can't sit in the middle. I need to make room for Jesus. He's sitting with me. And she was young, and she's learning, and you know, he's in you, so you can, you can take up the seat. It's okay. But here's the beautiful thing is we go through life like that, where it's not just I'm going to get a car wash today, but I'm going, the Lord's with me as I get the car wash today. And suddenly washing the car becomes an act of, of worship to God because you've got 30 seconds in the car where all the soap's on the car and it's just you and him. And you're, and you're doing something to keep the kingdom, your car looking like the kingdom by washing it. And suddenly your life and, and just the mundane things that you do, as you slide over to make room for Jesus through the revelation of the word, it changes everything about how you walk and how you talk and what you do. And suddenly just doing homework or, or trying to get a project done at work or whatever takes on new meaning because we're doing it for Jesus. We're doing it out of a revelation of knowing who he is. In Revelation chapter 4, as John is sort of whisked up into this vision of what God is doing, he sees the throne in heaven. And some of the language here is really difficult to understand, and it's sort of poetic, and we can't understand exactly what it means. Um, we're not going to go into all that today, but we can get a coffee and talk about some of those things if you'd like. But just for a moment, think about the most wild imaginative thing that you could think about. The most imaginative. Make up some kind of crazy alien creature in your mind, something that's totally foreign, and then try to take out the pieces of things that you've seen before. It's impossible for us to imagine something that's completely new because we are created beings. We're not, we're not the creator. So whenever we try to create something new, it's always got bits and pieces of things that we've seen before that make sense to us. And so when God reveals himself Sometimes the majesty of how big he looks, how do you explain what that looks like? It's so holy. He's so holy. He's so foreign to me. He's the creator, and he looks like his throne is, whoa, ah, there's, they have wings, and ah, I don't know. And that's kind of what happens sometimes in, in John as he's having this revelation, as he sees the throne, he sees God's holiness, and he's so limited by his own words, he can't even explain it. And so as we're reading, if you get hung up on, well, what, does, what do the wings mean and what does this mean? Let that go for a minute and just 
Put yourself in John's place of seeing Jesus. Seeing the holiness of God, how can you even explain it? The words start to fail. And let the, the thrust of the passage come through to us as we're seeing what God is doing. Let's start reading together Revelation chapter 4. I know we're in 5, but we're going to start in chapter 4. And we're going to start here in verse 6, 6b. And around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures. Full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, He who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. This is quite a scene, isn't it? What do you get out of this? It's, it's grand. Forever, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, to, is, who was and is, and is to come. He's eternal. We get the sense of his holiness is so high. His grandiose nature is so big. He's so perfect in his rule, his creation and his power, the way that he can do things. He is so high above that even those who seemingly are exalted before him lay their crowns before him. They call out about his glory and his honor and his power. And over and over they talk about who was and is and is to come. He existed. He's the one. There's life in him all the time. There's nothing, no decay. There's nothing about anything ending. It's just forever with God, isn't it? And you get this scene right away. And then in chapter 5, here's what John sees starting in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Why do you think he's weeping? He's weeping because he's in God's court. God is the judge. He's in the court of God. God is the king. And he's holding up a scroll. And John knows from the law that debts are kept in the temple. He's in the highest of the temple. He's in the courtroom. And God's holding out the scroll of the debt of mankind. This is the debt of all people before him who have sinned, who have fallen short of his glory, and that debt must be paid. God the just is standing and he's holding the scroll and there's no redeemer, there's no Boaz, there's no kinsman redeemer who can come like in the story of Ruth, who can come, a family member who can redeem that debt. 
who can make things right, who can bring the people out from the outside and back in to the fellowship with God. They can't bring them from the outside and into the temple. You can't do it. And he's so holy and he's so big and he's so powerful and he never ceases and there's no way to come to him beyond what this says. And so he's weeping because it's so grand and it's so, it's so despairing because nobody answers. There's no one who can take the scroll. There's no one who can pay the debt for mankind. So in verse 5, one of the elders says to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the four living creatures and the elders and the voice of of. Angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This scene in heaven is so amazing. Sitting on the throne, God holds up the scroll. He holds up the debt of mankind, and he says, who's worthy? He offers it to all the angelic beings, all the people in heaven. He offers it to the whole earth. Is there any man found worthy? Is there any human who could come take it? We think we're gods. Come on. He offers it to those under the earth. He says, devil, Here's your chance legally to take it from me. You want mankind? You want my creation? Come take it. No one is found worthy. No one can redeem the people. No one's a family member. How could a human ever take the full justice and the wrath of God on sin? How could they take all of the disobedience and rebellion and junk that we had done and make things right to to pay that debt? It's impossible. It's impossible. John is weeping because he sees the grandiose beauty of God's kingdom. He knows in despair there's no one that can help. And then an elder taps him on the shoulder. There's one. The lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, he's a family member. He's from the tribe of Judah. But he's not just a man. What do the angels, they don't know what to do with this guy. 
Here comes this one walking down. He's coming between the elders and the throne. He's coming between those who throw down their crowns before the throne of God. He's coming up to the very presence of God's throne. He's coming up to that holy place where there's infinite wisdom and power and might. He's coming right up to God. And they don't know what to do with it because there's no one worthy. Everything that's ever been said from God is stay out. From the time in the garden, the angels have done nothing but preserve his holiness. That man may not enter back into this place. How did this one get to the tree? How did this one eat the fruit? How is he coming back? What happened? And the reality is, it's Jesus. It's God. He became a man for us. He became one of us. He became a family member who could legally come, who was worthy to take the scroll. He died for us. He took the punishment of all of our sin. He took the wrath of God and fulfilled all of his justice. And now walking back to the throne which he had left for our sake, he takes hold of the scroll and he can open the seals. He has conquered. And the song changes, doesn't it? And we just saw this scene with these Amazing creatures that we can't even explain that looks like the glory of God around. And it's so, I, they have eyes everywhere because they just behold his glory all the time. I can't even explain what it looks like. He's so good and worthy is he of all power. And now we meet the lamb. And it changes the song that's been sung from the creation of time. The song changes because the lamb is worthy he fulfilled all that God had commanded. He fulfilled the plan. He took the scroll. He broke its seals. He paid with his own blood that God's creation would be redeemed. And now Jesus, taking the scroll, receives the accolades, the crowns, the glory that's due only God himself because he is God. Fully man and fully God. And in his wisdom, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Whatever the Father tells me to do, I do it. And so Jesus was totally obedient on earth. And breaking that scroll, he opened the seals, he pays the debt for mankind. And Jesus said, I'm here to save those lambs that are lost. Whoever my Father chooses, I save them. And so I imagine in that moment, he took the scroll and he opened it. And the father said, well done, son. And the son said, it's for you, father. And in that moment, they both looked at the Holy Spirit and they said, it's time. And the rush, the rush of the same Holy Spirit, the same God who created the universe to claim his own because the completed legal shed blood of the lamb is enough to save us. And the Holy Spirit in that divine trinity swoops down to claim all those lambs and apply to them the righteousness of Christ and to take them from the death that they were in, that they've only ever experienced the decay and the dust of death and now elevates them up in Christ, makes them new creations that they would never again taste death. But now they just know his infiniteness because he's infinite. Now we're in him. And he applies Christ in us that we are his and he, he is ours. And, and somehow he brings us to life and we confess our sins and say, Lord, forgive me of that junk. 
And suddenly we come to life knowing him again. And God is so gracious. And as far as the east is from the west, our sins are separated. And what happens to us? He applies Christ's righteousness and seats us with him in heavenly places. So there he is and there you are. And when you pray, you look over and he's there. Not far from us. Not away. Not just waiting for some day. But doing the work already. And Jesus ever interceding for us. And the Holy Spirit claiming and changing. He's everywhere. He's shaping nations. He's changing governments. He's rising up things. He's bringing restoration. He's bringing awakenings. He's bringing revival. He's giving gifts. He's establishing churches. He's doing it. And it's so incredible. And that's your heritage. That's who you are because you're in this family. Because the root of our family has conquered the root of the one that we needed, the only one who was worthy. He has ascended the throne. He has taken the scrolls. He has paid the debt. And he has secured you to be with him and to serve him. Can you see him? And problems come. And loss comes. And grief comes. And difficulty comes. And then you sit in the car wash with the suds all over the car. And you look to your right and you see Jesus. And you look to your left and you realize you're seated with him in heavenly places and you see the Father. And you know the Holy Spirit in you has made you a new temple. That he will never leave you or forsake you. You belong to, his, to him. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You went through baptism. That old guy's dead in the tank. New life is coming out of you. And suddenly your life is just full of a walk with Jesus. Because you have revelation of him. And the temptation of the, of the evil one is always, as you come to him, to try to lie and cheat and steal and throw little other thoughts. And, you know, you start praying and all of a sudden you're praying more about a bill than you are about God. And that's what happens. And it distracts us. Come back to the revelation. Come back to Jesus. Come back to the surety of knowing him. Stop crying out for him to be close to you. He's close to you. Instead, open your eyes and say, Lord, I see where you've put me. Lord, I see the grand plan. I see all that you've done. Father, I bow my knee to you. Lord, I cast all that I have upon you. Worthy are you. Worthy are you in everything. Lord, my worship, let it exude out of me. And boy, I'll tell you what, you go to pay for the car wash and the teller doesn't know what to do with you. Because you're walking in and you're just full of glory. This is Moses coming down to the mountain. In the presence of God, his face is shining. Maybe your face will shine. Maybe your handkerchief will fall out and somebody gets healed when they pick it up to give it to you. This and greater things you will do, Jesus said, even than these. That's your heritage. That's your anointing. You're anointed of the anointed one because our champion Jesus, our champion Jesus is worthy to take the scroll, to break its seals. He changed the song. He's the one now. All honor and glory and wisdom and power is His. Everything is His. Don't let anything get in between you and Jesus. Don't let your mind get fixated on the problems and things of this world. Work hard to fix them. God is with you. He's with you. Every step He's with you. And you say, Lord, I'm going to walk this way. Establish my foot. Lord, I'm walking this way. Oh, no. Okay, I'm walking this way. Because He directs you. Because He's with you. And establishes your foot that you can walk with him and know his guidance, his power, his anointing, his word. How does this happen? 
It happens by diving into the Bible. It happens by coming to God and saying, Lord, reveal Yourself to me. Lord, I want to see You. I want to be close to You. I want to know You because I know I'm seated with You. I know I'm close to You. I know that You have called me to know You. Suddenly your heart changes and all those things start to shift away and you see Jesus and then you work hard to honor Him, to glorify Him, to give Him praise with every step you take, whether it's in the car wash or in the workplace or doing dishes at home. They never end, don't they? Dishes just always never ends. Laundry never ends. And yet every piece of laundry you put in, you say, Lord, it's for you. It's for you. And it just changes all of our life, doesn't it? And Shukr is there now. She's there now. And so we grieve, but we grieve with hope. We know Him. If you know Him, it changes everything. This is the message. Maybe not the same way I articulated it. What I mean is Jesus Himself. His salvation is not even the gospel. He is the message. We need to be clear, church. When we apply the gospel to our lives, when we come before God, when we seek Him, when we tell others about Jesus, it's not just so that they have peace, which is good and a benefit, wonderful. It's that they would know the King of glory. Have you met the King of glory? Let me introduce you to Jesus. Let that be your life's work. And then, whether you're in the car wash, whether you're at work, you will know the peace of God and your walk will be strong every day. We're going to worship if I can have the team come back up. As you're praying now, just shut your eyes. Say, Lord, reveal this to me in my spirit. I want to see you. I want to see this. I want to see Jesus. If there's anything in you that you know you've been holding on to, we've already come to the table. If you've already asked the Lord for forgiveness, guess what? As far as the east is from the west, forgiven. But if you know there's something trying to latch in your heart, if you know there's that thing that every time you close your eyes to pray, boy, it's the thing that pops up. Give it to Jesus. Literally in your mind, just imagine yourself just laying it at his feet. Say, Lord, this is yours. Help me. Take this from me. And let's see what he does with it. Amen? Let's worship together.